Welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Nottingham Business School. So listen, learn, enjoy and share. Hello and welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast with me, Mike Sassy. Air Marshal Sir Baz North is one of the most distinguished leaders in the British Armed Forces. During a Royal Air Force career spanning more than three decades, he has commanded operations across the world, including Afghanistan, Iraq and Northern Ireland. But he's also taken on a huge variety of other leadership roles closer to home. For seven years, Sir Baz sat on the Air Force Board that manages the RAF. Today, he is our guest on the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast. Sir Baz, Thank you for dropping in. No, not at all, Mike. And it's uh, great to be back in the Chaucer building. <laughs> Good stuff. In a room that used to be the computer studies room. <laughs> is that right? Because you, you originally studied business at Nottingham, Trent, and then you went off to be a helicopter pilot in the RAF. How did that come about? Well, I grew up in Lincolnshire, and there were lots of uh, aircraft flying around, and uh, I didn't want to be 40 and wish I'd had a go at flying. So uh, I arrived at uh, Trent Polytechnic, as it was then, uh, and studied with a high national diploma in business studies. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, a really wide variety of course uh, content, uh, social psychology, law, accounting, computing, uh, all very interesting uh, background foundation uh, knowledge that one could use in really whatever field of business one went into. Uh, and you might rightly say, well, what's that got to do with uh, the military? And nobody joins the military to be a millionaire. Uh, but it gave me a thorough grounding in skill sets that would be used throughout a career in the Air Force as an officer uh, and responsibilities at different levels, not just for military activity, but also uh, the Ministry of Defence is a business. And has you, had you made that decision before you came to, to, to Trent? I made a decision that I uh, wished to uh, apply to the Royal Air Force to become a pilot, but I didn't want to do so straight from school right. because I wanted a, a, a yeah. grounding uh, in subjects and uh, a knowledge of what the world that I could use for my own personal benefit in due course. You obviously enjoyed a very, very successful career, um, rising to the highest ranks of the, of the Royal Air Force. In terms of leadership, which is obviously what this podcast is all about, What do you think your greatest achievement might have been? Leadership is, uh, I think, founded on one's understanding of followership in the first instance, in that when one moves into a a field of employment, uh, it doesn't matter what it is, it's very rare that one goes in at the very top of a pyramid. And therefore it's essential uh, that one understands, in military speak, the mission command. What What is it that the company is about? What is it that the, the business is about? Uh, and what are the targets to be hit? And we all work within a team. We're all part of a team. And a team is only as strong as its weakest link. And therefore, when one gets on the bottom rung of a ladder, I believe that one should be looking at one's leader and following that leader how you yourself would wish to be led and integrating with your team in a a, a fashion that identifies you firstly as a team player because loaners are great in certain fields but actually if one is working towards a corporate team goal you've got to get the best out of every member of that team. So going back to your question uh, what do I think was one of the, the 
the most successful things, I think, was running the operation in Mozambique in uh, 2000, the flood operation there, where thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have been displaced, huge flooding, and we were uh, just a small part uh, of the jigsaw that the South African military had been helping the uh, Mozambique people. There'd been huge amount of political clamour uh, in the UK between the Department for International Development and the Ministry of Defence of what should be sent to help. And I deployed with 50 men and women uh, and four uh, Puma helicopters to Mozambique. Uh, and during that operation, which lasted sort of four weeks or so, uh, we helped not only uh, conduct our own role with the helicopters we had, but more importantly, bring together all of the assets of the 30 or so nations that were lacking coordination, management, control, command, in order to deliver an effective whole with all the assets available. So you took on a leadership role, not just in terms of Britain's uh, input to it, but, but managing the whole operation? Yeah, absolutely. Myself and a South African Lieutenant Colonel um, basically pulled the whole lot together in order to deliver aid, pull people out of trees and some horrific uh, environments in which they got themselves, deliver medical aid. But it was all well and good, lots of different efforts being thrown in by different countries, but there was no command control, coordination and direction sure. and prioritisation. Of course, when one joins the military, one takes on those roles instinctively mm -hmm. uh, because one can see that's got to be done. Sure. Consequently, uh, it was absent Myself and the South African guy got ourselves together, pulled it together and organised uh, what was eventually um, an operation that saved, I believe, many lives. Sure, sure. A three-decade career. Um, what, might, what didn't go so well? What, what do you reflect on and think, you know, perhaps we, uh, I, we might have done things differently? I don't think it's something that I would have done differently. The thing that I found the most challenging, I was a Chinook Special Unit Commander and uh, we had a Chinook helicopter back in 1994 that flew uh, into the hillside on the Mullican Tires, yes, yes. killing uh, everybody on board, significant number of um, very talented passengers from different government departments plus the crew itself. And the challenge that I found there was ensuring that other operations which were ongoing at the time, not just in Northern Ireland, we had other stuff going on, were successfully conducted by my crews uh, so that they could uh, assure success while ensuring that right was done to the families of those who were bereaved and to them themselves in terms of paying due compliment uh, in terms of funerals, burials, etc. Now, one learnt from that, firstly, handling one's own personal feelings in terms of loss of a whole crew plus a significant number of passengers. And these are people you knew very well? Uh, the crew, absolutely. And the passengers, as I say, very uh, well qualified. Yes. Uh, and the biggest loss of life of an RAF aircraft since, I believe, the Second World War at the time. And therefore, uh, it was a, uh, a feeling of giving people duties and responsibilities, delegating to ensure that they weren't overloaded in terms of uh, their abilities, that they were able to handle their personal emotions, but also recognise that there was a duty to perform while also meeting the military output. So 
I, I don't believe it's one of um, would I have done things differently. Actually, I think I learnt a lot from that. You've served in a number of, of, of theatres of conflict. Um, you know, early in your career, you were in Northern Ireland. Later, you were involved with uh, planning the invasion of Iraq. How do you help the men and women you lead to cope with these these life and death situations? When one joins the military, one accepts that um, you put on a uniform, you take the Queen's shilling, and sometimes you're asked to do things that you don't really want to do. But we have fantastic training for our military personnel. And by recognising the, the, the training, the challenge that's put before one, there is always that personal mindset of, well, I'm not really keen to do this because actually one could get hurt. Yeah, but that's why you're in the military. That's why you're being paid. We've got mitigation capabilities in terms of self-defence aids on aircraft, etc., etc., And putting trust in the equipment and the training that you've had and recognising that it's the mission you've got to deliver and those personal worries, as soon as that contact, you cross the line, you're focused on the mission. OK, but what if it's more than just fear? I mean, working in the military means you have to take orders, but there must be times that intelligent people are asked to do things that they think are ill-judged. So as a leader, how do you accept in yourself that this is something you have to do and then persuade the people who you are leading that they have to join you? Well, I think that's uh, true right at the very top of the Ministry of Defence. When there are challenges put to the department from the Treasury and uh, from the Cabinet in terms of the uh, monies available and decisions have to be made with respect to changing direction and investment in different programmes and capabilities. How do you deal with that yourself? Well, in the first instance, one works for the country and if there isn't enough money available and our politicians or political masters have made decisions, then by all means, make your point But at at the end of the day, when the decision is made, salute, turn to the right and crack on with your mission. And that's not just the military, that's just a good leader will have to do that. Of course, and never be afraid of making unpopular decisions, because making the right decision is the thing to do. Whether it's popular or not is frightfully not very interesting. (laughs) Uh, Mitigating that unpopularity, explaining to one's team the reason why, I think that brings them into a confidence and recognition of, OK, uh, don't like it, but we've got to do it, and let's get on with it. Do you enjoy the thrill of being a leader? Of course. Being challenged, having to think on one's feet, relying on the training that one has received, relying on one's experience, but most of all, working with a team and relying upon one's team, that's always a challenge. Change is always uh, a challenge, but change is the only constant we've got in life. And that's uh, something that quite a few people can't accept. Get comfortable with change. The ambiguity that sits there with change, exploit it for the betterment, not only of uh, one's corporate body, but actually for the betterment of your own people. There's always an opportunity where there is change to be delivered. There'll be people who are resistant to that. Let them be resistant move swiftly and exploit the uh, ambiguity that sits there. I mean, you obviously love it, the leadership role. At every stage of your career, flick through your CV, every stage you've taken on leadership roles, whatever you've been doing, projects, operations, squadrons, do you think you'd have been a leader whatever you, whatever chosen career? Well, you only get one life, and you've got to put as much into life as you can. If you're not enjoying life, you're not putting enough into it. 
I've always wanted to do the best I possibly can in anything. My first uh, role as a pilot was uh, in Northern Ireland on the Wessex. I arrived out there uh, and, yeah, the fly, I could do the fly. But I, need, I wanted to know more. I wanted to know more about the aircraft to, to get a better understanding of the, uh, the engineering, the systems. Uh, and so I spent time beyond what was con- one was contracted to do in terms of one's job in order to learn more. And I think if you've got a passion for wanting to do one's best, it doesn't matter what your contract is or how many hours a day you're meant to be working. You'll get stuck in so you can amass a knowledge and understanding, but more importantly, understanding what other people want and therefore understanding their needs. That's not just below one's position of command, but actually above. What is it that's going to be of interest to one's boss, for example? There's been a, a great variety to your to your leadership uh, career. Um, you know, commanding operations we've already talked about. You're also involved in uh, devising HR policy at the MOD. At one point, you were the RAF's diversity champion. Lots of really different roles here, but are there common leadership skills that you were able to utilise across the peak? Um, getting people to buy into things, networking. If one networks, you might not be the expert in every particular part of your brief but you might know a man who is, or a woman who is, or somebody who you know would quite want to be engaged because there's something in it for them, and actually there's something in it for you too because it's a skill set, a competence, an understanding that one doesn't necessarily have oneself. For example, the challenge for uh, the Ministry of Defence, this was back in uh, over 10 years ago now, in terms of uh, improving the uh, diversity ratio, was quite significant and you still see it in the the media today there are still challenges uh, with respect to ensuring that we get the very best out of the people of the United Kingdom we can't just do that down a particular stream there are challenges let's say on um, ensuring that our ladies have uh, full careers because there are the way in which one uh, goes through life um, around about the age 40 when offspring are about to go into uh, senior education, there is a, a challenge there in terms of the way in which we live our lives as to, well, actually, I want stability. Uh, this is as a mother now. Yeah. Um, uh, and wanting the kids, um, therefore, to be stable at school and not to move around as much. Uh, and that quite often was, uh, is a challenge point. Now, I'm very pleased to see that um, we've been able over the last 10 years to change some of the employment contracts within defence to ensure that where we have ladies who've had children uh, and have got real skill sets, let's say air traffic controllers, um, they might only be able to do three days a week uh, in a particular role, but far better having somebody at that sort of age with those skill sets for three days a week than having to train somebody brand new for them to stop at uh, age 40. So there are in terms of applying flexibility to contracts of employment and changing the shape of uh, how the military are perceived by different ethnic groups, one can see the improvement that's being made in terms of delivery of diversity. So actually, that was an HR task. But it didn't matter that it was an HR task per se because one still needed to have the baseline of understanding of the competence sets, understanding the skills required, the communication of it, getting people to buy into something. 
it really doesn't matter what it is that one is engaged in because the principles, the activities are very similar. It's just the subject matter that changes. Indeed. You started talking about HR issues there and leadership of those HR issues. In recent years, you've been involved with providing mental health care for officers and their families. Now, this focus on mental health is, is I think, probably a relatively new development. So how important is it for leaders to consider the well-being of their staff? It's essential. It's like a, a, a finely tuned engine. If it's only working at 80% capability, you're not going to get a 100% performance output from your engine. Sure. Do, do you think those issues have become more prominent in, in recent times? I think people have understood more what it is. It's coping strategies. And some people have very good coping strategies. And they just do it and it's water off a duck's back, not a problem. Others don't. And there are particular things in life that trigger uh, circumstance where people, even if they've got good coping strategies, need a bit of support because it's an area of mindset that they've not been exposed to previously. Uh, And people describe it as post-traumatic stress in terms of one particular activity. But actually, you can have that uh, when your your, your parents die, for example. So you've been a leader in the the RAF, your chosen profession, for more than 30 years. What do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started? Well, six numbers on a Saturday night would be useful, but... <laughs> <laughs> I think we all think that, yeah. <laughs> uh, you have one life, and you've got to throw yourself into it. You're never going to know everything all the time, but being able to put into a corner where you're unsure and accept that you're not necessarily sure of something. When I first took on a, a, a role in the, the Royal Air Force as a young flying officer in Northern Ireland, I didn't know everything. I was uncertain of certain things. And perhaps I would have wished to have been able to have more conversation, as we would say, pull up a sandbag, tell us a story, because one learns from those stories. And we didn't have enough, I think, opportunity to be able to to get into a, a crew room uh, and have the opportunity to learn from others around one. And therefore, I think it's something that I'm seeing more, particularly here with the business school, where folk who've been through it, coming back, retelling their stories, because people learn from stories, because we think in pictures, we don't think in words, uh, and it's easy to to, say, ah, I remember something, somebody mentioned something about that in the past. Okay, so, finally, if I had to ask for one single piece of advice that you might give an undergraduate at the business school preparing for his or her career ahead what might that be? Work hard go beyond that which is set contractually for you think two up what does the boss two two up from me want what do they want to deliver how can I improve the output of the team and how can I deliver to other organisations what they need which will help me and my team succeed. Don't be frightened of being unpopular, because leadership, you do have to make unpopular decisions at times. You'll never be uh, popular with everyone. The loneliness of command, it can sometimes be termed. Don't be frightened by it. Enjoy the challenge. Exploit the ambiguity of change and embrace change, because it's the only constant in life. Solid advice there. Air Marshal Sabaznov, thank you very much for being our guest on the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast. 
Thanks, Molly. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not check out some of the others that are also available, including those with former banking executive Robin Foll, the Army's chief medic Peter Homer, and sports marketing guru Charlotte Cox. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy, and your producer was John Collins.